0: Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past... Present and those emerging.
2: The first thing to keep in mind is that in Islam, modesty is actually something that's seen as highly valued in men and women. Modesty in behaviour, modesty in dress. In a modern Western context, There is no premium placed on modesty. It's not seen generally as something positive in your behaviour or your dress. You know, people who act modestly are seen as weak or pathetic or shy. They're not going to achieve anything. They're not pushing themselves forward. Similarly with dressing modestly, it's not seen as modern. It's just seen as anti-modern. Whereas in Islam, modesty of dress of men and women and behavior has always been seen as something really admirable and positive. So it's important to keep that in mind. But in the end, the reason I wear the hijab or the headscarf is that as an act of worship to God. As a Muslim, we believe everything we do can either be an act of worship or just a mindless endeavor. Bringing everything we do back to a, uh, as an active worship or a connection to God. And by doing so, we can take the mundane and turn it into something
0: sacred. Here's a radical idea in modern secular Australia. Could religion be helpful in calming your farm? To be completely honest with you, I rely very heavily on Buddhism for my farm calming. His Holiness the Dalai Lama likes to say that he's not interested in wooing people to Buddhism from other faiths, because all spiritual traditions throughout the world actually share the same values. They might say it differently, but they all teach that cultivating love, compassion, patience, self-discipline and ethical principles is the path to contentment. Dr. Susan Carland is a social scientist, an academic and a UNICEF ambassador. She's the author of Fighting Islam, Women, Faith and Sexism and the host of the SBS quiz show Child Genius. She's also one of Australia's most visible Muslims, possibly because she converted to Islam, having been raised Christian in suburban Melbourne. I'm Michelle Laurie and this is Calm Your Farm. Tips for taking care of you from the unlikeliest of gurus. Dr. Susan Carland is married to a guy called Waleed whom she met at university. A lot of people assume she converted in order to marry Waleed, but she's at pains to point out that that is not the case.
2: I, you know, I knew Waleed, but we weren't together. I was a teenager when I became Muslim. In fact, after I became Muslim, people encouraged us to get together, and I said, that guy, I wouldn't marry him if he was the last man on earth. My parents got divorced when I was seven, but, you know, my parents were loving, involved parents. You know, I have a brother... Yeah, it was really normal, really unexciting and boring. We went to church, but it was a very relaxed church environment. You know, my mum has very radical ideas about Christianity. She likes to think that God is a black woman. and So by no means fundamentalist or anything like that at all. Um, And when I was sort of in high school, I got interested in the Baptist church, just of my own volition, sort of trying to, I guess, understand my own Christian identity. Um, So my family didn't go to the Baptist church. They went to the Uniting Church, which is much more sort of relaxed Uh, But my experience at the Baptist church was really great as well. Everyone I met there was lovely, kind, helpful. Everything you would want a good Christian experience to be was Mm -hmm. the experience I had. Everyone was – I could not fault them. I couldn't describe anyone that I encountered there, any of my church leaders stern. Everyone was just so nice, so encouraging and thoughtful and selfless. It was just such a lovely experience. But it was when I was 17, um, I started to feel that I had questions that I wasn't getting answered at the church. And that's sort of what encouraged me to start looking elsewhere. It took a while because I was very resistant to believing that it was true. I didn't want to be Muslim because of, you know, the way Islam and Muslims are perceived by most Westerners isn't good. And I had the same. It was just before 2001. It wasn't long before, but there was still, it was tied up in ideas of um, the first Iraq war. And also there was this awful film and book called Not Without My Daughter. I think that was the only thing my mum knew about Islam. And it is a true story. So I'm not denying that this is what happened, this horrible experience happened to this woman, but that was the really the only narrative Westerners seemed to have about Islam and particularly uh, Muslim women. But it just it got to the stage for me where I genuinely believed that Islam was true. And I, even though I was really worried about my, how my family was going to react, I was worried about how my friends were going to react. Um, I realised this is what I think is true and I can't pretend, I can't not be Muslim anymore. And so, yeah, when I was 19, I became Muslim. And it was hard when I came out as a Muslim, so to speak, um, especially because I wanted to start wearing the headscarf or the hijab straight away. And I was worried about how people would react to that. Um, So that was a pretty difficult period. Uh, But once I sort of got through that, most people who knew me beforehand, who are still my friend or family members, are cool now. Uh, I think for me, first of all, um, I liked the idea of God in Islam in that it's it's a one indivisible God so it's, there is this concept of only one God God uh, doesn't have children or offspring or anything like that and I also really liked the idea that um, in Islam if you you know as in many of the uh, monotheistic traditions or God-centered traditions there's this idea that if you do the wrong thing you ask God for forgiveness and that's it in Islam, that is it. You don't. There is. There doesn't have to be a sacrifice. There's no intermediary. We don't believe that anyone had to die for God to be able to forgive us. It's just if you do the wrong thing, God and say sorry, God forgives you. That's it. And so, there's actually this real intimacy between human and God, uh, with nothing in between that I, that really appealed to me. The other thing that really appealed to me that again um, surprised me and surprises other people when I tell them is that I really liked Islam's uh, stance on social justice. Just in, you know, strong contradistinction to what we see nowadays by countries allegedly run according to Sharia law and Muslims doing horrific things in the name of Islam. When I actually read what classical Muslim scholars said about how Islam should run in a day-to-day life and on a societal level, it made so much sense to me and it was so compassionate and it was so logical. I realised that if I felt if a society could run this way, It would be a well-functioning and flourishing society where the vulnerable would be protected, there would be autonomy for people, the state had a big responsibility for looking after people and I thought this makes a lot of sense to me. So I actually had an intellectual connection to Islam before I had a religious connection. Like I, I was reading, you know, these old scholarly books that I thought this makes sense to me on an intellectual level and it was later that I thought, well, if this really makes sense then I think it's divine and that's when the God connection came in. Ultimately, all religions come through the human filter. You know, whether we've got sacred texts or, you know, if there's a religion that has a prophet or a leader living amongst them that's a mouthpiece of God or whatever. In Islam, obviously, we don't. There's no person who is seen as divine now. But all of them, it's, it's always the human rendering of the divine will. And humans will constantly get it wrong. Their own selfish needs or desires will come into it and interplay. And in the end, it's really important that we always keep that in mind, that this is a human endeavor at grappling with what the divine will is. And humans will get it wrong a lot because we're fallible. And we have our own issues that we bring into it. We always have our lens. And that's why you can have two very different people read the same religious text and come away with totally different um, practices and understandings. You know, as Muslims, we say, you don't read the Quran; the Quran reads you. So when you come and read the book, what you take away from it is actually telling us who you are.
0: For more tips on taking care of you from the unlikeliest of gurus, including recipes for relaxing body products you can make at home, things to read and watch instead of scrolling through your phone, cheap, cheerful and calming gift ideas, go to calmyourfarm.com.au. We'd love to hear your ideas, too. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.